welcome to the Last of the Moon podcast. I'm Bryce McCracken. I'm Colleen McGovern. I'm black and white Willem Dafoe. That's actually, I like that one more than <laughs> your first one. We, this is our second time recording this intro because I forgot to hit record the first time. No, you didn't. It, it was me, Bryce. It Let me Colleen. take Co- the well, ball. Colleen, if anything, because we were pretty upset about losing what we did have, Colleen did then proceed during the recording to slam an iPad. <laughs> Oh, did I? Re- I forgot we're not supposed to It'll touch okay. the table. I'm sorry. Colleen's well, back, guys. I'm back. Welcome, <laughs> Colleen. Uh, once again, we can't have Wyatt with us. He's 10 feet away, just on the other side of my bedroom wall, but he's been out of town in Ithaca, New York, um, so he couldn't see this movie with us. I'm sure he will, but we couldn't work out the schedule, so we got Colleen back, and we're very happy to have them. Um, I'm very happy to be here. Uh, I love Wyatt's shout-outs, and I look forward to hearing them again. And I love being the fill-in, the end. On this day, I learned that Ithaca is in New York and not New Jersey. Huge. Can we fact-check that? Commute. It doesn't need no. to be fact-checked. <laughs> Let's make sure. Do, do we have our best people on it? Yes. Can we confirm? I've been to Ithaca. It's in New York. Mm. So <laughs> I auditioned there. That was one of my schools. Did you get in? Uh, yeah, I did. It's a yeah. good school. It's a great my, school. Uh, my high school choir teacher went there. So did mine. That's why Wild. I auditioned. She drove me to it. It was crazy. Anyway. That's so we're cute. still working to confirm the location of Ethica. <laughs> we're not, and we are moving on. To <laughs> we will be talking about the film, Asteroid City. This is Wes Anderson's newest movie. This is a movie that I know I can say I've been really looking forward to. I'm sure you two were as well. Yeah, yes. probably my most anticipated so far this year. Uh, well, yeah, both of you have been reviewing and watching chronologically Wes Anderson's movies. That was just me. One oh, of that us was with, yeah. okay. Well, we were joining Bryce along <laughs> for that journey. Um, on a I, few stops. On a few stops. I only saw like two. Wait, actually, did we? You saw Fantastic Mr. Fox before we did, right? And then yeah, I had already seen that movie a few times. Well, I saw it for the first time. Anyway, yes, I was very excited for this as well. Yeah, big day. Do you Big two day. have much relationship with Wes Anderson? Hmm. <laughs> we dated a little bit in college, <laughs> but it, we were just at different places. In Didn't our go lives. anywhere. Yeah. No, I really like Wes Anderson, uh, but I don't have the same like. I don't have the same historic relationship that I know at least Bryce has. Like, I, I haven't seen all of his movies. You have, um, specifically. And I've seen probably half of his movies at this point, but I really wish that I would have seen Grand Budapest Hotel. This is his 11th film. Oh, my God. Before I had seen this, I wish I would have seen Grand Budapest Hotel. You haven't seen Grand Budapest Hotel? No, I've Even been meaning I've to. Even I've seen Grand Budapest Hotel. <laughs> Damn. I know. Well, um, I don't know about even. You've seen a lot of movies I haven't seen. That's kind of true. Uh, we complete each other. <laughs> they do. It's very cute. Uh, but the Wes Anderson movies that I have seen more or less I have really thoroughly loved and have stuck with me for one reason or another, usually being his, you know, iconic aesthetics and kind of MO that he puts on his films. Um, yeah, I, I, I love Wes Anderson, so I was really excited for the new release. Before Colleen mentions their relationship with Wes, I don't want to mislead anyone. I do not have a historic relationship with Wes Anderson. Uh, I had seen... Fantastic Mr. Fox. I think I watched that in 2020, and that mm. was the first Wes Anderson movie I had seen. It was a pretty glaring hole huh. in my film catalog. Um, so also worth noting, 
Brett is a little sicky boy. He's got a yeah. bad cough, so we'll see how much of that makes it in the final cut of this podcast. You guys remember when MJ played with the flu in the NBA finals? <laughs> this is about to be 90s. your flu pod. I can't stop thinking about it. When I was playing softball the other day, <laughs> I was thinking oh about my that. God. I was thinking about that <laughs> shot of MJ. <laughs> Hands on his knees, about to throw up. That was me hacking up a lung in right field. And it was the same thing. It was the same thing. Hitting a nice little pop right over the shortstop. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. Um, But yeah, my relationship with Wes Anderson, I I don't, I I always knew because I had only seen one of his movies and I knew like what his movies were and how they were presented. I always knew I was going to really like him. But I think I was just waiting for an opportunity to dive in head first. And that opportunity had not presented itself until this year with Asteroid City coming out. Um, I didn't get a chance to see French Dispatch. Mm-hmm. And I think that was largely because I had not seen any other Wes Anderson movies. So I it wasn't at the forefront of like what I was looking for. Um, so over the last 12 months, I've been, especially over the last six months, I've been binging all of Wes Anderson's movies. So I've now seen all 10 of them, now 11, I guess, after today. And just like Brett, these movies are all excellent, in my opinion. I have ranked all of them on my letterbox, if if you want to follow me there. But even his worst movies, I still think are incredible. Mm-hmm. Like, the floor for Wes Anderson is so small for me, or rather so, so I, high. Yeah that my expectations going into this movie were pretty astronomical. And I'll get into whether or not I feel like this lived up to them. But this is a director who I love very much, and I, I wish I had found him sooner because a lot of his sensibilities that I'll talk about really connect with me. Mm-hmm. And his style, of course, really connects with just about anyone. So, um, yeah, I like him a lot. Um, my connection is very much through the people who adore him. So my best friend from college, well, I have a couple, but um, the one who doesn't live in this city, Marina, she's not going to listen to this, but shout out <laughs> Marina. She is obsessed with aesthetics. So again, like you, it makes sense that this is something that she'd be obsessed with. And she's like, what do you mean you haven't seen Grand <laughs> Budapest Hotel? So that was my first like introduction to it. And obviously I was captivated because it's very colorful. Yes. And I'm a very colorful, colorful person, so it definitely appealed to my sensibilities. Um, but past that, my my uh, my boss, Josh, shout out Josh. Um, he might listen to this, but he might. He's like, oh, I gotta watch the movie first. <laughs> um, he's obsessed with Wes Anderson. Yeah. He um. So since working for the, I've watched name drop. <laughs> Sorry. I'll, I'll bleep it. <laughs> oh, thanks. Um, since working for the family I nanny for, I've watched triple the amount of Wes Anderson mm. movies than I had previous to working for them. So um, his favorite is Rushmore, and he keeps being like, oh, so you'll watch Moonrise Kingdom, so, but you won't watch Rushmore? Okay, okay, because um, he's a little baby. So um, he, uh, but he's he's like a pretty big influence as far as like, hey, Josh, I saw this Wes Anderson movie, and then we'll talk about it. It's pretty, uh, that's my connection to it. So yeah. I'm pretty excited. Um, I will say the French Dispatch was probably like, that felt like a movie that I saw outside of anybody having a relationship to Wes Anderson. Like that, I, I saw that movie and I was like, hmm, this feels like a me movie. I'm keeping this close to my heart. And that's the anecdote that I have. Mm. 
the end. Oh, do you like French Dispatch that much? I did. Interesting. Um, I know it's not a lot of people's favorite, but I really liked that. I know it's not the movie we're talking about. Oh, poor guy. Um, I know it's not the movie we're talking about. I really did like it. It it had like enough variety that it kept my attention mm-hmm. with the aesthetics. And I was like, <clears throat> and it was like tying back to a tribute. And I love a tribute. Yeah. The end. Yeah. Uh, French Dispatch, which I truly do think is like, I don't think it is his floor, but I think it's near his floor. I, mm-hmm. I, I think that movie is relatively flawed, which I can't say for a, the vast majority of his movies. Yes. And even that, like I, I had not seen it and we watched it a week or so ago and I loved it. Yes. So again, like was very excited for this movie and it was very clear the populace as a whole was this was the first. So we went to our local theater, the Manor over in Squirrel Hill. It's our local like indie theater. And it was the first time I've seen a sold out crowd since everything everywhere all at once. Mm. Movies, um, baby. Movies. It it made me very happy to see. I think they were also showing Spider-Verse around the same time. Yes. And we walked in and it was just absolutely packed. We even got there twenty minutes before showtime and barely got in the theater yeah. in time to Well, you guys missed it because I went in first while you guys were in line mm-hmm. for concessions to go get a seat for yeah. all of us. There was a line to get into the auditorium oh, when wow. it hadn't opened yet. So oh I, I got in line early to go get that, which I had actually, like, I've never seen that before. Yeah, never. Well, I, actually, not never. Like, I don't know. Not since we were kids. <laughs> I was going to say, not. it feels like never because it, yeah. now that I think about it, I definitely experienced that as a kid. I but definitely like, waited in line for High School Musical 3. <laughs> <laughs> I still haven't seen High School Musical 3. Um, I didn't go to the movies as a kid, but I'm sure you guys are right. <laughs> go ahead. Sorry. That was pretty much it. Like it's, The landscape has changed so yeah. much that it truly felt like it. that is an experience that I've never had, but... Mm. It's like that and waiting outside the GameStop. Oh, for like my the God. New Call of Duty. <laughs> that was an experience. Yeah. It doesn't really happen anymore. It, it speaks to how popular Wes Anderson is, both amongst, I, I don't want to say like normie crowd, but like yes. people know his name. Yes. Like if you ask most people to name a few directors, a lot of them would be able to say Wes Anderson's name. And he's also very, very popular amongst film fans like ourselves. And I mean, like you could see with how many people were there today. I think it's it's often the case with any time anything becomes mega popular mm-hmm. that people kind of revolt against that. Mm-hmm. And with the inception of AI and how hyper specific Wes Anderson style is, there have been a lot of Wes Anderson recreations. It was even a trend on TikTok yes. to shoot random things like they were a Wes Anderson film. And that was a trend that I enjoyed a lot. But the result of that was a lot of people feeling like Wes Anderson was so hyper-specific that he's not necessarily all mm-hmm. that creative mm-hmm. because maybe this is the only thing that he can do. Mm-hmm. Um, which I I don't think is necessarily true. I think there's a lot of variety within his style. He just, he makes movies the way that he wants to, and he can tell a unique story within that. Yes. So at least for myself, I I have not really been participating in any of the Wes Anderson backlash, and Mm -hmm. maybe it's because I've gotten on the train so late, but I, I truly think like he is one of the best working directors that we have right now. Yes. Um, ironically, this, 
second Anderson that is in the top five working directors right now? Paul Thomas Anderson. Oh, uh, him. Unrelated. Yeah. But, Unrelated. Uh, yeah, I think Wes is a brilliant, brilliant director. I, I love, I mean, his style is so obvious. You can, you could have yes. a baby identify a Wes Anderson movie because it's so specific. A dumb baby. A dumb, stupid baby <laughs> Page. It. It's me. I'm the baby. It's but, Brett. <laughs> like, uh, uh, for the viewers at home who are watching, I'm like... <laughs> he is pointing and pretending to be a baby. He's a dumb baby. He's... Wes Anderson also Wes writes. Anderson. <laughs> Wes Anderson also writes and directs all of his own movies, and I love his writing style. I really, really connect with his sort of like. If there's a lot of character to his set pieces, there's not a lot of. Not to say there's not a lot of character, but there's mm-hmm. not a lot of like expressionism in a lot of his characters. Most of them are pretty like mundane or monotone which is something as a boring motherfucker like myself i can really relate to (laughs) and that comes up a lot in this movie and we'll talk more about how he kind of plays with that when we get into the spoilers but that is something that i really connect with and i i really think it's on display here i think um somebody i was talking to who really really likes film it couldn't have been you because this is not and it just this doesn't feel like a bryce opinion somebody was like yeah Wes Anderson feels like what film buffs should like. Like, like people who like Wes Anderson think they like good movies. And I think that's a, such a horrible take mm-hmm. because, and I, I think, I think the only people who would, and not to, not to bash anybody, but like, I think the type of people who would hold that opinion want to feel like the way they see things is more special. Yes. And I, and I, I, I can empathize with that. But at the same time, the fact that Wes Anderson can make something accessible while still making it as artful as he does is really impressive. And I've always... So even if it is like the layman's film buff stuff, Mm -hmm. like even if it is like what we... Like what we... Me, amateur, like wants to believe is like the height of film. So what? (laughs) Um, That's how I feel about that. That doesn't matter. If you connect with it, you connect with it. with it you connect with it um and this this was no exception as far as like uh what he was able to accomplish in his style yeah very very consistent with his style i thought the end it, it almost feels like a like he's he's saying after all of the recent criticism of him only doing his own yes. thing that he just kind of was like fuck you i'm gonna go even harder yeah, <laughs> yeah. um and so this isn't like the most wes anderson-y movie of all time which is funny that that can even be an adjective at this point, but <laughs> every single one of his classic Wes Anderson things are on display here. Mm-hmm. Um, and he really did not hold back. And I respect that because he has to be aware of the criticism that he has been getting. And at the end of the day, I feel like he doesn't really care. Um, Wes Anderson is a Taurus. I just wanted to Good say to that. Know. Yep. Earth sign. Stubborn. I'm sure some fixed. of our <laughs> listeners will appreciate that information. Sorry if you don't. <laughs> well, we all know that Tauruses are aesthetically pleasing directors by trade. <laughs> Every Taurus. I mean, I, I've been saying that for years. So. Why it's a Taurus? The end. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, he made all those movies back in the day. They were all very aesthetically pleasing. We all remember. We That's all true. remember. I had someone else to say, and I forgot. Um, I, I think it's worth noting while you remember that. So it... 
this this movie had a was it twenty five or thirty five million dollar budget? I have it written down because I knew I forget. Only twenty five million dollar budget, which for this cast list is actually minuscule. Pretty crazy. That's crazy. Um, Everybody wants to work with this. When guy. you look at the set pieces, maybe it's not that surprising, but this cast list alone could Warner a sixty five million dollar budget. Yes. But I think you're exactly right, Brett. Like people will work for him for free because it's everything I've ever heard about working for him is like, he is such a genuinely good human being and he's such a creative person and he's just a pleasure to work for. So with, it's not even uncommon for Wes Anderson movies, but this, this movie in particular, you'll have a, a list actors that are showing up to give 60 seconds worth of screen time or dialogue. Like Margot Robbie is in this movie for, maybe 45 seconds Man, and she's one of the biggest actors that we have working right now and so it it speaks to to what he is able to do and he's one of the few directors i think working right now outside of maybe quentin tarantino that Mm. sort of walks the line of the film buffs love him and appreciate him in in one sense over here but then they also make a lot of money and and the casual people that just go to a few movies a year are also able to appreciate them a lot. It's uh, Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. Everybody That's signed funny. a contract <laughs> to make minimum wage so they could play with Tom Brady, and then they won a Super Bowl. So Unbelievable. Let's, let's talk about what this movie actually is, because we haven't done that yet. Do, do either of you feel like you have a big enough grasp on oh, what the plot is? Because if not, I, I feel I can do that. No, you should do that. Okay. So I'll, I'll give my best short synopsis here a family recently off the back of losing the mother of the household is traveling to the grandparents so that's the father-in-law of the father played by jason schwartzman who's in nearly every single wes anderson movie it's his son who's a genius and his three daughters and they make a stop along the way at Asteroid City, which is the location in the middle of the desert in Arizona, correct? Arizona. Uh, Colleen's birthplace, where an asteroid hit 5,000 years ago, and that's all this town has going for them. They're classic having, Arizona. Classic Arizona. <laughs> they are having this oh, <laughs> yearly convention to honor the landing of this asteroid. Uh, it's like a science fair. A lot of people are in town. They're giving out a scholarship. And the son of Jason Schwartzman is this genius. And he is in contention for this scholarship. None of this really has anything to do with what is actually happening in this movie. It's kind of just the set piece to get the characters in the same space. So what this movie is really about is just the events and the interactions that all of these characters, both from this tiny little town in Arizona and all of the people traveling there have when they end up there on this week. And a bunch of stuff happens. They end up stuck there for a while. Um, But ultimately, this movie is really just about the... (laughs) Ironically, Brett made a joke. Or was it Colleen? One of you was like, (laughs) what if the real Asteroid City was the friends (laughs) we made along the way? Uh, A joke that is always funny is ironically actually like kind of the point of this movie. That's what I said. Yeah, there's, there's said no that. real there's no real plot here. Yes. There even most of the characters are not that fleshed out. This movie is really just about like being in this environment and 
watching mm-hmm. the interactions that these characters have with each other. And also, to be clear, there's levels to this because pretty much everything that Bryce just said is a fictional yes re, it's a fr- fictional theatrical telling that we are seeing a cinematic form of if that makes any sense so it, it's it is theater that we are watching as if it is happening in real time you know no audience is being seen then we also get to see bits and pieces of the creating of that theatrical play mm-hmm. as well of backstage and like off stage conversations about the play as well as Brian Cranston <laughs> hosting a television God. show Brian about Cranston. the, about the of creating the play, yes. of the play so um and, Three la- layers and, and these are not these are not things that like pop in as bits here and there they are like Exposition. there are entire scenes dedicated to mm-hmm. just those you know to those different settings sewn throughout the movie so I, it, but and this is something that I want to talk about later too is like it's it sounds incredibly complicated and tiresome like I would watch all of that and feel like I just ran a marathon <laughs> which is how I feel about some other Wes Anderson content i.e. French Dispatch is very much like that for mm. me but this is a very palatable version of a movie like the French Dispatch where like all of the themes that we see and these different kind of like wacky plot devices to, you know, that Wes Anderson uses for his expression. It all kind of makes sense. And it's, it's easy to, you know, to go down. It's very intentional the way he does it as well. That's like something of note is that like these different worlds that we're seeing uh, are very much designed to be easy. I thought my, one of my takeaways was that like, as we're seeing these worlds, they're designed in a way to show difference. They're designed to take us along the journey of what each one feels like. And there's enough difference scattered in them where um, even if we're not consciously being like, even if we're not conscious, we're like obviously consciously aware that something has changed. But like there are so many subtle things in the design of the different worlds where we're easily able to follow, which I feel like. You can't say that about all Wes Anderson, like you said about French Dispatch. But for this one, it the design of that felt very, very intentional. And it was easier to follow along because of that. I actually think I disagree, but we'll have to save that for the spoiler. Oh, my God. Um, I guess maybe we can get into it now because yes. it's not really a spoiler for this movie. My overall thoughts before we get into the spoilers here are I think this movie is awesome. Mm-hmm. I had an excellent time. Would not be surprised if it ends up being one of my favorite movies of this year but I had if if I left with one complaint I don't know if I liked the structure mm-hmm. I I found it a little bit convoluted and unnecessary whereas with the French Dispatch which is told in a similar way in that it is essentially like the actual story mm-hmm. is the narration of mm-hmm. the story that we're seeing so with the French Dispatch, it is this newspaper publication, and the movie that we're watching is the stories within that newspaper. And the production of this newspaper is more of like a unique framework to narrate the story rather than just having a standard narration or voiceover. In this, 
at least on first watch, I found that it could be a little bit confusing, mm-hmm. even a lot a bit confusing at certain points because they're not always on the same timeline, mm-hmm. which I would have been okay with. In fact, I probably would have really liked that. Yes. Had I not left the theater wondering what did I actually gain from mm-hmm. having the story told this way, I found in the moment especially every time I got pulled out of Asteroid City and was watching the production of this play or Brian Cranston's, frankly, really good yes. exposition. Mm-hmm. While all of that was fine, I still found myself just being like, can I get back to the story? Like I, I was getting invested in these characters yes. and what was happening to them. And I just wanted to live with them a little bit more. Yes. I felt like a lot of the things that the external exposition and the external framework of the story mm-hmm. were giving me were things that I could have just had had I been given more time with the characters. Yes. Who knows? Maybe... I, I think my my opinion might change with the second watch. I think that... Yeah, I'll, I'll save some of this for, for our final thoughts because I have a little bit more to say about this. But yeah, I, I found it personally just a little bit convoluted mm-hmm. and confusing and it, it took away from my enjoyment of the movie a little bit. Yes. Um, I don't know if this is a this is a spoilers conversation, but definitely um, I think we're saying the same thing and I would love to get into that. But I genuinely agree. Mm-hmm. I thought I thought the same thing. I was like, it feels like he and this I don't know, this also might be a final thoughts thing. It felt like he was trying to get us to ask a question and <laughs> for lack of a better way to say it, I didn't appreciate that. <laughs> I was like, you don't even know what you're trying to get me to ask and what you are trying to get me to ask is something that you've already asked. Like you're try it's like it's like I felt I felt a little spoon-fed, but I also found it convoluted. I think that's a good word for it. I wanted to say real quick before we move on that I felt like I might have been benefited by having watched The French Dispatch Mm. a week prior and being really upset at how much I wasn't following and understanding. So the second I sat down, because I knew that something similar was going to happen, I just, I felt it. From, From the moment that the opening credits started, I was like, I am hearing and like understanding every single line of dialogue mm-hmm. from this point on <laughs> so that I can know exactly what's happening. And I feel like they, they actually do lay it out really like in Brian Cranston's opening monologue. Mm-hmm. I will say for anyone who is listening, and hasn't seen it yet, like pay attention, listen to it and like really lock in, you know, and, and try to consciously like understand what's happening or yes. else you may find yourself getting really, really lost. Like they will help you if you pay the attention that it like yeah. it, it needs to have. Yes. But again, I don't expect everybody I, – I think that, like, that convoluted quality is going to have an effect on a lot of people because yep. they're not going to walk in and have that same mindset as soon as they sit down. Yep. Like, you just can't expect that of everybody. I would have done the exact same thing if I didn't have that negative experience with mm-hmm. a different Wes Anderson movie. Yeah. Do you yeah. think – Do you I think, think that's valid. Jamie Marvel, <laughs> Mr. Guy off the street who goes to the theater twice a year Jimmy to watch a Marvel, Marvel. movie – Mm. <laughs> do you think if if he walks into this theater because a friend invites him, do you think he's able to connect with this? This isn't like a setup or anything. I'm just, I guess I'm trying to get at like 
is the average moviegoer going to enjoy this as much as the three of us did? Hmm. I would think probably not. Yeah. And I I almost hate having I hate being the person that says that because it makes me feel snobby and pretentious. Mm-hmm. I really don't. Well, mean I, I that. think I agree. Mm-hmm. I I don't want to feel that way, and it is not like uh uh pedestaling in mm-hmm. any sense. It is just that like there was a time in my life when I saw movies like this before I was a like a avid movie watcher that I was like I hated that. It was stupid. <laughs> I don't. It was stupid, and I don't understand. So I hate it. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I would go back years later and watch those kinds of movies and be like, yes. oh, my God, I love this movie. I didn't understand it the first time. I didn't know how to, like, consume it. Mm-hmm. And so in the grand scheme of Wes Anderson movies, maybe I should have put that disclaimer on earlier when I said that it's palatable. It's palatable in, like, the Wes Anderson verse, mm. yes. you know? Yes. Um, but That's a great way to put it. But I, I would say that somebody just walking out the street who doesn't, watch movies all the time is going to have like a hard time with it and probably isn't going to like it. Like it's going to hurt the reviews. Yeah. I think, um, having a hard time with it is a really, really good way to put it as far as like the, like, you know, (laughs) Jimmy marbles, Jimmy marble, a Jimmy marbles (laughs) experience of this movie. Um, because it's gorgeous and I feel like there's obvious technical, uh, successes Mm -hmm. when it comes to this movie. And I think all of that is really enjoyable. I found that incredibly enjoyable. The most enjoyable part as far as like the experience as a whole, I think it misses the mark a little bit. So I think that would be hard for Jimmy Marvel to, um, (laughs) to like experience. Fortunately for our listeners, if anyone is listening to this, who has not seen the movie yet, I think most of the people that listen to our podcast are fellow movie fans and likely have some relationship with Wes Anderson already. So that's kind of where I'm at. Like if you have a relationship with Wes Anderson and you like a lot of his sensibilities, I think you'll probably really like this movie. At the very least, I think you'll probably enjoy it. Mm. At Um, the end of the day, I don't think that... Sorry, I hope I'm not stepping your toes here by interjecting this. Nope. Grand scheme of things. Movies cinema they're an art form and an expression of oneself so i don't think that our opinions of the movies Mm -hmm. should ever be defined by Mm -hmm. how easy to watch they are by just anybody who Mm -hmm. picks up and watches them there's a million other qualities that we can can and should point to as whether it's good or not so i think the only reason why i'm ever even moderately concerned with that is because Otherwise, movies don't get made if those people can't mm-hmm. yeah. walk in and enjoy the movie. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, I mean, we saw this movie too early to really have any box office statistics. Yes. But $25 million will not be hard to make back, I think. Mm-hmm. Wes Anderson has had a history of making a lot more than that. I mean, Grand Budapest made an, uh, over $100 million, like, very quickly. And this movie in particular, I, I, I don't remember exactly what the record was. It, it got a limited release, but it... Set some record for, like, most amount earned per theater or something like that because it sold out, like, every single theater in wow. its limited release. Mm-hmm. It released in six theaters. It mm-hmm. made $800,000. Yeah, like, a that's obscene over. That is for obscene. six theaters. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I forgot. I think you're right, and I don't remember the statistic either, but I remember reading that, and that that's, like, 
that's a lot of money. Yes. So <laughs> so at the end of the day, it's like I don't really give a shit if Jimmy Marvel doesn't like this movie, but yeah. I want this movie to make money. And unfortunately, Jimmy Marvel and all of his homies are the ones who are gonna uh, <laughs> keep the movie business going. Yes. So Jimmy um, Marvel is clutching his fist. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's face down on the pillow, <laughs> tear soaking. <laughs> listen to this. My he's bad, Jimmy. Real. He was so Sorry, excited to Jimmy. listen to this. He's catching straight. Oh Every direction. <laughs> uh, do you do you two have anything else you want to say before we get into spoilers? There's there's a lot going on here, and maybe not a lot at all. <laughs> so I I don't even. I have one thing. I might I might have four minutes to say about this movie. I might have <laughs> three hours. No, I don't really I, know. I I don't know about you guys. I had an incredibly difficult time writing notes, and I told Colleen when I went out to check on them earlier. I was like. I'm just I'm just winging it basically. <laughs> yeah. Like I I was not that. write things down. Yeah. I sorry had something. Go ahead, baby. Uh, I. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> You're my colleague in in movies right now. I didn't call you, baby. Go ahead. <laughs> um, I love the screenplay of the movie. Mm-hmm. Everybody should know that, like, from a writing perspective, mm-hmm. it is really really strong. Uh, I. One of the main, like, pretty much the only thing that I found myself being able to write down because it's just kept, like, recurring in my mind is that I need this to be a book and I need to read it over and over again. I would love it as a book. Mm -hmm. So I was really pleased to find out that you can purchase for pre-order the screenplay. Oh, that rocks. So I bought it already. Nice. It won't be here until... I'm high-fiving, Brett. August. But I... That's cool. I'm really excited to get that because, like... My version of Get rewatching this. <laughs> my version of rewatching this is going to be rereading the like reading the screenplay, and I can't wait. I feel like I need to rewatch it as well. That's really funny. That's on par with me buying a UV nail set kit. Like that's that's <laughs> on par with like what we spend the things we spend money on. That's a really good idea. I, I think, have a history I think... of this. I played disc golf for the first time last week and uh, bought a set like by the time I got home. He was the like... same thing with tennis. <laughs> yeah, I bought it. I bought, I bought a tennis racket like immediately. Oh my god! You know what? I get it. The first time I went skiing with Brett, I bought a pair of skis after. That's true. <laughs> Um, we're I feel like we're just we're impassioned homies on um, the last of the Moon podcast. Um, I know why it is the same way. We should all look up. At, um, Bryce took this test recently. High sensation seeking. Anybody who doesn't know what that is, look it up. Yeah, Take the test. See if you're a high sensation seeker. Me and Bryce are high sensation Real seeker. Um, so anyway, the last th- the thought that I had about this was that. Um, I already said the colors were nice. I also had a hard, hard time writing notes. I had a hard time writing notes. And a hard time, like, I already have a hard time putting my thoughts into words, but putting my thoughts into, like, mm, what do I, like, the affect that this had on me um, or, like, the affect that this movie had in general was uh, kind of hard to put into words. And that, I think that's all. I think that's all I can't put into yeah. words. Yeah, I mean, so many of Wes Anderson's movies are so experiential mm-hmm. in that, the main goal of the movie is for you to just enjoy it yes. and enjoy the experience of being in front of the screen watching the movie. Mm-hmm. I have thoughts about that. Later. Which is, is, I guess, a little bit surprising for me in terms of my own sensibilities mm-hmm. in that a lot of the enjoyment that I get out of movies is having a lot to analyze which is not to say that there's nothing in this movie or in mm-hmm. any of Wes Anderson's movies to to analyze, but 
it's not the point. Yes. Which mm. often my favorite movies, that is kind of the point. I vibe with that so yeah. bad. So <laughs> so like with this movie, it's I if I, I really do enjoy the experience. Mm-hmm. Like both of you, I definitely plan on rewatching this. Yes. I I wrote in my final thoughts notes, this movie and and again, we'll I'll save it for the spoiler content so people actually have a reason to keep listening, but for reasons I'll get into, I genuinely think this movie has the potential to be like one of my favorite movies I've ever seen. Wow. But I think my issues with the framework of the story and mm-hmm. how the story is being told to me kind of step on those toes a little bit and make yes. it a little bit difficult for me to actually get to that point. So I definitely want to come back to it when the time is right. I'll probably see it again this week if I'm being honest. <laughs> I have enough friends that want to see it. Wyatt still has to see it. So yeah. who knows? I'll probably see it again. My other note, Jeffrey Wright, he was the guy who played General Gibson. Um, he also played the narrator in uh, The French Dispatch, and that made me love the movie. He's also Commissioner Gordon in Batman. God, yeah. I know he's Commissioner Gordon in Batman. He's such a... I, I he's love a him. He's a brilliant actor. Anytime he's on screen, I feel safe. And he has I such feel an like... exceptional <laughs> speaking voice. I know! And, oh, God. Sorry to yell. Sorry. Wow, that'll clip. 1,000% clip the microphone. Um, um, I don't know how he was like completely out of my orbit until Batman. Until the Batman. God. I was like, this guy rocks. Yeah, he's he's I love great. seeing him in everything. Yeah, I saw him in um in Westworld. And mm, that's sold. Yes. I was like, God, you can do anything you want. His role <laughs> in the French dispatch especially is yes. like exceptional. God. And that's that's the last thing that I really want to talk about here before we get into spoilers. Mm-hmm. And I am glad to see we've talked pre-spoilers for almost 40 minutes here um because <laughs> i i genuinely don't know how much i'm going to have to say after the spoilers the performances here are all exceptional mm-hmm. i mean every i i do want to take a second to just this is if if you haven't seen it already which i'm sure most of you have but just as a reminder this genuinely has probably the best cast i've ever seen yeah Stacked um, I, as shit, dude. I don't think that's an like an exaggeration even a little bit. which no. i think only wes anderson could do this because mm-hmm. these a-list actors and actresses are not demanding a lot of money no because it's a privilege to be able to work with wes anderson so it, jason schwartzman is sort of the lead here which i i don't think you can call him an a-list actor but he's in nearly every wes anderson movie and he truly is a great actor scarlett johansson Tom Hanks, Jeffrey Wright, Brian Cranston, Edward Norton. Um, skipping over a few here because they're lesser names. Maya Hawke, mm. Steve Park, uh, Liv Schreiber, Sophia Lillis, who's growing on me a lot, and then a bunch of cameos um, <laughs> from Margot Robbie and a bunch of other people. Oh, um, God, Adrian Brody. Right now. I Adrian mean, Brody. Oh, God. So good. Do you say Hong Chow? Andrew, yes, Hong Real Chow's Hong in Chow. here. Yes, he is. Uh, this this cast is exceptional. And oh, fucking Jeff Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum <laughs> plays, <laughs> I think maybe my favorite cameo in this movie. <laughs> uh, but I I do want to especially shout out Jason Schwartzman mm-hmm. and Scarlett Johansson. They're sort of the two like emotional leads of this movie. This movie certainly does not have like a conventional male female lead, mm-hmm. but. I think they probably have the vast majority of the screen time, and I think that they are both exceptional at doing this sort of like understated, monotone emotion that Wes Anderson sort of demands in a lot of his movies. 
And it's they're also both really funny. This whole movie is frankly pretty hilarious. Yes. Um, which I don't know has has been the case for a lot of Wes Anderson movies recently. His movies used to be a lot funnier, and I think recently he's kind of leaned more towards just being like amusing. Yes. Which has not necessarily been a bad thing, but it it I mean like if you watch Bottle Rocket, his first movie, and um. It, it frankly is his next three movies. They're all hilarious. Yeah. Uh, it may have just been a result of watching this in a packed theater where mm. everyone else was clearly a Wes Anderson fan, but God, <laughs> what a this movie was hilarious. Uh, I love it. It I, was really I good. I know it's like our whole thing is going to movies. And like everybody knows that. I don't have to say that we love going to movies. Go to a packed movie. There's nothing like going to a packed movie. Truly. It's so um, sick. Especially it's like, sick. it's especially rare. For me as an adult person who can mm-hmm. go to movies without my parents <laughs> to... No, you can't. Don't <laughs> lie to the audience. Uh, sim- purely speaking in terms of like the timeline here and sort of the evolution of movies, it is so rare that I get to go to a packed movie that is not a superhero movie. God, yeah, that is so true. real. Which, it can add to the enjoyment of a superhero movie, yes. but... It's really cool to be able to experience that same environment for a freaking art house movie. I know! A movie that has, you're you're not connected with any of these characters. You don't know any of this lore. You're just here because you like the art from the artist that mm-hmm. is producing this content. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's really cool. Did I dream the this? Movies. Did I dream this or did we have to show our IDs to get into a movie recently? You remember what I'm talking about? Yeah, anytime we go to AMC in the waterfront, we have to show our IDs yeah. if it's no, after like that's 9 true. p.m. Right, have there's a, a time. There's a curfew. There's a it curfew. has nothing to do with AMC or uh, that theater. It's like just the PG-13 all of the waterfront has a curfew after like 9 p.m. It's because in classic like outer, not that you know we live in the suburbs, but not that the waterfront is the suburb, but like shit kids be hanging around at strip malls, you know? And that's our version of the strip mall. Yes. <laughs> that's it. They've destroyed the Monroeville Mall and now <laughs> they're oh just going God. to AMC. Now they're just going to hanging out in the waterfront. You have to respect it. All righty. Let's, let's get into spoilers. We've, we've talked for how long? 40, 43 minutes without spoilers. I like that a lot. Uh, if you have not seen Wes Anderson's Asteroid City, it is in theaters right now. Go ahead, check it out. That would be awesome. Support your local theater. If you have already seen the movie or you don't give a shit and just want to listen to us talk, we appreciate that a lot. Go ahead. Keep listening. Thank you very much. I hope there are people who listen, even like having no relation to the movie, that just want to hear us talk as like background noise. I do appreciate <laughs> that. I mean, I think you're a psychopath if you do that. But like, <laughs> You said that on the last podcast, do you believe it or not? Did I really? Yep. God, I love you, psychopaths. <laughs> Please keep it up. You keep me going. You keep me doing this. Like that audio that's like, to all my lovely girl fans, <laughs> I, I see you. <laughs> I can't remember the rest. Sorry. That's the like verbal equivalent of being like, oh, I got to show you this picture on my phone. <laughs> you take 20 minutes to find uh, it. That is my whole personality. Oh my the amount of times I've had that happen to me is frankly just embarrassing. And I'm I'm fully self-aware every time. I like I know I'm messing up socially, but I just can't help it. Our friend Lou, who we went to this movie with, she was telling me about her personal life. She was like, wait, wait, I'll show you. Wait, how do you get to the... 
oh, wait. And she was scrolling through her text to find a picture. And I was like, actually, if you just click the contact name, she was like, no, 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 I can find it. And I was like, Ooh. Oh, no. Um, other side note. I know we have a movie to talk about, but, like, I need you to find timestamps of me trying to hold in a cough all throughout the video. Just make a TikTok of it. Oh, my God. Potentially. It's going to be bad. Like, and I'm not even, I swear that I'm not trying to, like, ham it up. It's taking a lot right now. And mm-hmm. yeah, I'm I'm under the I weather. I can't believe you're here and... without any water. I he he's got his water right there. I can't believe I he's... forgot it was here until you mentioned it, but it is here. I can't. I had an old fashioned I was working on, and I finished it. Now I'm sad. You make yourself a new fashion. No, then we'd have to stop you recording. You can't have your little drink. Bryce doesn't have his little sippy cup full of alcohol. Um, <laughs> Brett, a little sippy cup. <laughs> get you a sippy cup. Bryce's alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> He's got to have something like that. Brett's coming with me to DC tomorrow to see one of my favorite artists, and uh, I don't know how he's gonna do it. The end. He'll figure it out. Figure well, it, it out. was really bad in a packed theater trying to hold it in for. You did a an great job. You did Tried a great so job. Hard. It yeah. was pretty uncomfortable. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> but uh, I, I let out a soul wrenching sneeze at one point you in the did. middle of the theater. <laughs> I, remember, I didn't even remember. <laughs> I remember thinking like this fucker. I'm trying so hard to hold it in my bodily functions. This guy. He's blowing air out of his nose like yeah. it's nobody's business. Like, he's uh, out of and I, I got the dad sneeze going. I just oh be my. screaming. He does. He screams at the top of his lungs. Spoilers? Spoilers. Spoilers. Uh, I, I wanted to start the spoiler conversation with talking about the structure of this movie, but we talked about it a lot. But, Brett, you seem to have a little bit more to say about it. I mean, I, I can sort of start this conversation off with, like, this. the structure of this movie is sort of, like, three-tiered. So you have... Brian Cranston, he's the first person you see in this movie. He acts as sort of the narrator where he's talking directly to you, the audience, sort of as this, like, he is the host of a television show or maybe a documentary. And so he's in black and white, and what he is showing is in black and white, which is the play, the stage production of Asteroid City. And he says right off the bat like this is not real this is a play so we have the play going on we have brian cranston's monologues going on sort of describing what's going on in the play but then the the bulk of the movie and what i enjoy the most is fully in color the play what the stage actors are doing is essentially being turned into a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's when it is at its most conventional, um, but also maybe it's easiest to follow that like lowest level. Brett, I don't know if you want to direct the conversation. Maybe I'm even wrong that you had more to say about it. I can't even remember. Colleen has lots to say. About please, it. Brett does. please. Uh, I want to know what Colleen has to say first. Um, I already talked about it for a while. So, well, what I was going to elaborate on is just that sense of like, oh, what did I like? I want to elaborate on what I meant by by design. It was leading you through these different things. Mm-hmm. Um, I meant that from a purely technical aspect. So, from a technical aspect, when we're in the world of the play, when we're in the world of like what we're seeing in full color, it's all widescreen. And so we're seeing, like, I thought a, a just comparison was like, oh, what is he trying to get us to understand about the real world versus, like, a play world? Um, he 
lent a lot more room to the play. He lent a lot more room to the act itself than he did to the real life. We had a much, I don't know what you would call that when it's not (laughs) widescreen. Their aspect ratio changes. Um, (laughs) Their aspect, but he's right. Like their aspect ratio changes. Colleen asks (laughs) what this is, (laughs) receives an answer, and then makes fun of the answer. Listen, Brett was was doing it in his little tone of like, um, actually, I'm actually... It's the aspect ratio. Well, what I don't know what you that? expect. Brett is a, a huge Ben Shapiro fan. <laughs> all, all, all we're here about is to talk our opinions and be important. Oh, <laughs> so. that's true. I'm on. I'm on board for that. Um, so like the aspect ratio changes when we get into the real life documentary, like uh, recounting of what's actually happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that from like a unconscious thing of what he's trying to get us to see. That is what I meant by like, oh, by design, he's leading us through these different aspects. He's leading us through these different tiers by Mm -hmm. showing us physically like we're in something different now. My one gripe with that is that or like the lack of effectiveness with that is that you're right. And I completely agree that like by drawing so much attention and color to the play itself, when we went to the more personal and like uh, archival recounting of like the playwriting itself and the relationship of the playwright to everybody else it kind of felt like whiplash it mm. kind of felt like like oh i uh, we were right in the middle of a story and now we're in the middle of a different story and so while the difference was very stark and i could tell that we were in something different now the i felt like i was being ripped out of it mm-hmm. as well um yeah that's it the end i didn't have any problems with the way that they made this artistic decision. You seem to, to follow the, the, the line a mm-hmm. little bit better than the two of us. Yeah, well, you know, when you've been doing this for a long time. <laughs> it's like, you know, some things just come really naturally to you. And, you know, you guys will learn. Um, Brett's the only one of us that doesn't have ADHD. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's real. real. <laughs> um, and honestly, too, like, I, I just, when you said that, I realized I've been bouncing in my seat for 30 seconds straight. Uh, my bad. <laughs> I, I'm also like I, I don't claim to be very good at understanding subtext mm. or you know why directorial decisions were made the way that they were. Um, but I I enjoyed the way that they showed the movie because even if I didn't understand, uh, even if I didn't personally understand all of the the reasonings for all of the decisions being made, I felt like they were intentional and they had a reason behind it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so I, I was really confident in that. I, I feel like I'm going to understand more about that as yes. I watch it more, as I read my little screenplay that I bought. <laughs> I'm really excited August. for that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, if anything that I've gathered, it's like a lot of what this movie is talking about, the themes are like great beyond reality and infinity is a theme mm-hmm. that comes up a lot and and it seems like there are these infinite layers and mm-hmm. layers and layers and layers to it that are just beyond human comprehension and mm-hmm. you know uh, you mentioned Colleen earlier about like questions that we're meant to ask and i i think probably one of them is just like what's going on yeah and <laughs> and the movie talks about well i don't know if we'll talk about this later or not but the movie references multiple times like oh you know it's not clear mm. <laughs> i think and, and you're hitting the nail on the head. Yeah. And that's exactly it. And so if that is is the end of it, like that's cool with me. 
That's yeah. totally fine by me. Yeah. Good. Go, no, no, no. Go ahead. I, I think that I, I totally agree. If I'm, I mean, ultimately, I love, if there's anything I love from a movie, it's asking, like, what the hell's the point? Mm-hmm. And from this movie, I, I, I really do think a lot of it is life is pretty random. We, we don't know what's going to happen. The world is huge. The universe is even bigger. Yeah. It's impossible to control what will happen tomorrow, what will happen the next day. People come in and out of our lives. Mm-hmm. But we are here right now. We are in this moment. Let's make the most of it. And that is essentially like my personal philosophy to a T. Like that's, literally the philosophy which with which I try to live my life every day mm-hmm. and so that that's sort of why I feel like it has the potential to be a movie that really really connects with me totally killed me oh my god tried, tried so hard uh it's it's why I feel I have this movie has the potential to really really connect with me mm-hmm. if I'm able to on second watch figure out this framework a little bit more. Yes. And where I'm at right now, the one of the few examples of like the framework actually serving a purpose that I'm able to point to mm-hmm. is with for example with Jason Schwartzman's character putting his hand on the stove. Yes. The first time this is an it an like a pivotal thing that happens in this story and it's mentioned three times throughout the story. Mm-hmm. Firstly, before it even happens, mm-hmm. the actor in the black and white, like recounting stage two level of this story, is trying to ask the writer of the play, who's played by Edward Norton, why does he do this? Mm-hmm. Like, what is the wh- why? And that question is asked mo- every single time this is brought up. So he asks why there the first time. And then when it actually happens, Jason Schwartzman is like, why did I just do that? Yeah. And then again, when it's mentioned after the fact, they're like, I, I don't know why I did that. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like the answer ultimately is we don't always know why we do things. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes we just act in the moment and we don't always have a logical explanation. And I, I think that it's hard to reach that conclusion with the one layer if if it were just him in yeah. that moment being like, why did I do that? Uh, it would feel out of character. It would feel out of place in the story. But getting the greater context of, of a third party being like, yeah, why did he do that? Mm-hmm. I think that adds a lot to the greater question at hand that Wes Anderson is asking. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, I feel like that's at least from my first watch, the only example that I can point to where I really feel like I benefited from having the story told in this way. I don't know if you two agree. And again, I I can't emphasize this enough. I feel like my opinion likely will change on a second watch. Well, you had mentioned the time that you had spent in the various settings of the movie or like the the layers of storytelling Mm -hmm. that we're referring to. And that you often found yourself just wanting to be back in Asteroid City and wanting to be back with those specific caricatures mm-hmm. of actors. Mm. And I agree that 
those were probably some of the most enjoyable parts. Yeah. They had such incredibly likable characters, and they were often the funniest parts. In my experience, um, I found that the other parts of the movie were really interesting to me, and mm. I did want to be there, even if they weren't like the best or funniest or most enjoyable. With all of the like varying, like I said earlier, characters of these people, if I feel like if I had spent too much time with them. Yeah. I would not have enjoyed the time that I spent with them the way that I did. It would have been a little bit oversaturated yeah. to me. And, like, I, there wouldn't be so many parts that really stuck out. I think it would have been a little bit more of, like, a, a mess. Mm -hmm. But I think the movie, at, I think it's, like, an hour and 40 is a fucking tight hour it's, and 40. It really is. Time. It feeds through. Yeah. yeah, it does. And I think it's because there's so many different things to see there's so many different perspectives on the movie mm -hmm. uh it's not something that i wanted to get in and out of yeah but but the the way that they told the movie their like uh and their methodology made it so that those individual parts to me were very distinct and they stick out to me and i i feel like i connected with them more because of that mm. um, that's valid yeah i said that the pace yeah Hearing you say it like that, a couple of thoughts that I had. One that I wrote down was that the pace felt much like a train because <laughs> it was very like it wasn't relentless in a bad way, but it just definitely chugged along. Um, go good, go good. Leave it to the guy with autism to bring up trains. <laughs> no, Choo -choo. no. Um, so that was one of my thoughts. And then along that same line, I feel like one thing I was impressed by at the start of the movie like one thing that was notable is as an actor i thought it was not to be like as an actor but like <laughs> i Colleen think is an actor for those mm, who do not know I, I'm, I'm an actor presenting the relationships of the actors to the director and the the director to like the writer and and just like the origin story of where these actors came from in terms of like them all just finding each other in, in an improv class. I think, I think you're right. I think that did really, really contribute well to the overall sense of like connectiveness that we had mm. in the world of color. And um, I really thought it was impressive that they were able to, even in those like real life moments, maybe I think this is a big Wes Anderson thing too, like portray it as if, those moments felt more like watching a stage play than to me than than the um maybe it was the perspective but like no i i, I think you're right i mean the way that those characters are lit yes. with a spotlight yes we don't get any of that in yes. the asteroid city which is technically the play that we're witnessing yes yeah it's like and one note that i wrote down was like um the widescreen like um real life versus color uh, real TV. Oh my God. <laughs> what's real life versus what is the play mm -hmm. um, and how that's presented in those design choices. And I think one scene that sticks out to me in terms of that, in terms of that idea was the scene where Jason Schwartzman at like the climax of the play of the climax of asteroid city, he goes to have a smoke break and that's where we see our 60 seconds of Margot Robbie. Mm -hmm. And 
they're talking about a deleted scene and it's just actor to actor, but she's like, oh, do you remember the scene that we had together? Like to me, that scene where they're just talking to each other felt like the true crux of the movie as opposed to what I think it should have, what it was presenting as, which was when Jason Schwartzman sits down with the director and he's like, what does it all mean? And I loved that scene, but I think that scene didn't, I think that scene lacked the same punch that the scene with Margot Robbie did, where they're just talking about what this play means and you're allowed to draw your own conclusion from it. That's my thought. <laughs> to mention the French dispatch again one more time, Bryce, I think you mentioned when we watched it that, and I, I fully agreed with this, that it had a like it had a problem where there was like inconsistency so the first act of the movie was and i don't know if this is accurate to say from your perspective i felt this way the first act was like leagues better than the yeah. rest of the movie yes i did not so i mean the the first thing is what is his name this happens to me every time adrian brody nope uh before that even owen wilson uh his his story is like 30 seconds long and yes. it doesn't make the final cut of the newspaper. So I guess it's technically the second one, but that's the like Adrian Brody yeah. prisoner story. That is genuinely what it could, if it were just a short story on its own, would be one of the best short stories I've ever seen. I agree. Yeah, And it's, it's hard for the third and fourth parts to live so up to that. Compare that, compare that to this movie where I felt like, and I, I'm assuming you'll agree. I felt like, it was so incredibly consistent all the way through mm. and they the, the various ways that they tell the story is intertwined through the story yeah. in a way that ties it all together very well yes as compared to the french dispatch which to me is very disjointed it is disjointed you're right i found the framework in the french dispatch much simpler yes and therefore a little bit I think I liked that framework more, at least on, I've only seen each of those movies once. I found that a little bit better, but in terms of the actual content of the story and how successfully that is being portrayed, I think this is like leagues ahead of the French Dispatch. Mm. Yeah. I've said all that I need to say regarding it. I um, give the blessing to Ron. <laughs> oh, oh, in terms of the, the structure or in terms of the movie? Oh, anything. Well, Bryce is the host. Yeah. That's valid. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Ah. <laughs> I'm going to leave in every one of these coughing fits yeah, because I it's hilarious. I hope so. I think it's... Um, sucks. But Do we want to get into a fun. category? Colleen, you look like you might have somewhere to go. I have so many thoughts, and I don't know um, whether... I Can I talk about... One thing of note, please. What category were you talking? What category? Well, we could do any there? category. Okay. Well, um, one thing that I thought was significant, and I don't know how to transition into this, but um, one thing I want to comment on was the role of children versus adults, and how that's portrayed in not only asteroids. That there's not any children in the um other two layers in the in the black and white layers, yes. but in the in the. Oh, that's a great point. Even the children in the story don't have like actors that we're seeing for them, except for Brainiac. He's yes. on the train with Scarlett Johansson, and she's like, "You're the understudy," and he's like, "I'm the understudy." She's like, "Not anymore, baby." And Woodrow, played by Jake Ryan, who yeah. I feel 
on top of just being entertaining in this movie, looks exactly like Jason Schwartzman. Yes, they did a great job with that. (laughs) When Jason Schwartzman was his age Um, in Rushmore, so that's pretty cool. Jason Schwartzman was his age in Rushmore? Yeah, I mean, Rushmore was 90... 98. Josh, I got to watch Rushmore now. Sorry, oh, man. It's it. definitely, I it's haven't. not 98. I'm lying. It's like case, early 2000s. We will definitely watch it together. I'm excited. Oh, it is 98. I, I was right the first time. I saw. Rushmore is an awesome movie. I saw when I got COVID, um, he had, like Josh had given me um, Life Aquatic with Steve Zuzu and uh, and Rushmore. And I chose Life Aquatic. <laughs> and he was like, why didn't you watch Rushmore? My favorite movie. And I was like, you don't know. They're <laughs> Just both shut great. Up. <laughs> I want to talk about the role of children versus adults in the play version. Um, What I thought was, I don't know what to take from it. I don't know what to take from the whole presentation of like the children are geniuses and the adults are idiots, you know, because they were geniuses and they weren't smug about it. And I really liked that. Um, It seemed like these were just like kids who were enjoying their own brilliance. And I really, really liked that presentation. But I didn't know how I felt about, like, the main scientist being like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. You know, it felt a little like, uh, it felt a little like, see how, see how much smarter these kids are. See how much smarter the future is going to be from us. Um, and I don't know if that's the main takeaway. So that's what I wanted to Did you notice up. a little bit of sexual tension in that one scene? Yes. yes. Where she's like. She's like, maybe be my protege. You could be, be my protege. Uh, it would not be the first time that Wes Anderson has <laughs> shown a young male character in love with a much older female character. Yes, yes. Ice Queen. Which is maybe a thing be. that I can relate to. I will be your protege. <laughs> <laughs> That's the whole point of Rushmore. Oh, man. Yeah, Colleen, I, I, I think I totally agree. I don't know if I have any thoughts about like what the significance of that is, other than just like... I mean, it, it's clear with a film like, what's the camping movie? Oh, uh, Moonrise Kingdom. Moonrise Kingdom. I know the name of that movie. It's just on the moment. <laughs> uh, our listeners know at this point, I feel, that I just cannot remember names when it comes time to. It, it's clear he views children as real people yes. that are just as complex yes. as adults. Um, and have the capacity to be just as intelligent. Yes. So it might just be another example of that. Yeah. That's sort of where I'm I'm leaning at this point. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I think that yeah. I'll I'll be curious to see if I have any other thoughts as far as how it relates to the plot as a whole in any future rewatches. I hope that wasn't a waste of time. No, I mean at the end of the day, a lot of the emotional weightlifting from the story is being done by adults, specifically yeah. Jason Schwartzman and Charlotte Carla Johansson. Mm-hmm. But there's still a lot for me to relate to within the context of the story from these two kids. I mm-hmm. mean, because I was sort of like a neurotic, not to say that I wasn't like charismatic because these kids are pretty freaking dorky. They reminded me, Brett, of are STEM campers, mm. <laughs> counselors of STEM no! camp. Um, Brett and I used to counsel at a camp together, and STEM camp was, all of our campers were just the kids in this movie. It was iconic. Um, I loved those kids. They were incredible. Like, universally, they were just the best kids to have yes. every single year, but they were they were weird, and they weren't very sociable and or charismatic, but oh. we loved them. Oh, that's crazy. It sounds like you love autistic people. <laughs> 
but you find them to be weird yeah, and noting, not sociable. Worth noting, <laughs> Wes Anderson has like never put a kid in one of his movies that was not clearly just <laughs> autistic. Maybe Wes is saying something about his own childhood and growing up mm-hmm. neurodivergent. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I, I find even if if that is not an experience that you've had, sort of the isolation and the feelings of loneliness that all of the kids in Wes Anderson's movies experience. I I think anyone, no matter how popular you were when you were 12 or 13 years old, is something that you can relate to feeling that way. It's sort of like, I'm interested in these things, or there's this particular thing about me that separates me from everyone else. And so it's really cool. And again, if we're talking about the ultimate point of this movie being... There's a lot going on. Life is unpredictable. But mm-hmm. here in this moment, let's enjoy it. These kids have found each other in mm-hmm. this moment. Goddamn. Where yeah. literally like an alien has touched Earth. Life could not be crazier. They're being quarantined in the middle of the desert in Arizona. But they have found people that are like themselves. Mm-hmm. And that is really all that matters to them is just like we have found people that we like to be around, which it's, it's clear these kids, we mostly get this perspective from Jason Schwartzman's son, but yes. it's clear they have not really had that before, even with yeah. their parents. Cause like, he's clearly smarter than I his know. dad. I know. So it's like, it's cool that they get to relate to someone in that way. Well, even that I think kind of, if not answers the question, like gives us an answer of like, the role of these adults being idiots, more or less, um, or like out of touch. Mm-hmm. I will say that in terms of their parents, especially the role of their parents being somewhat out of touch, I feel like really drives that point home, drives that point of isolation home, because it's that sense that you feel when you're a kid of like, do I trust this person? Mm-hmm. I know I should. But like, is it right to, or do I want to rely on my own intuition and that building of intuition and where that comes from isolation, you know, in terms of like where you develop your own sense of self. Yeah. But that sense of community, I think is really significant. Well, and also compare that idyllic childlike sense of experience against the adults in their, you know. Yeah. The way that the way that they are in the movie, which you know, they're all much more touched by the world. Yeah. And Damn. yep. And are, you know, melancholy or narcissistic. Yeah. Um, or in Steve Carell's case, he's just a dumb, lovable <laughs> idiot. He's so dumb. I understand perfectly. Uh. <laughs> um yeah, with the exception of Steve Carell basically, like all these negative uh ways that you know you can become as an older adult. I think that that is a good representation of real life. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. And like, I mean, if the children's struggle is finding connection mm-hmm. because of just their slight abnormalities, you kind of see the same thing with the connection that Jason Schwartzman and Scarlett Johansson have. Like, yeah. they are both traumatized in their own way. Like, yeah. Jason Schwartzman's wife is just died and he's Mm -hmm. clearly not over it and scarlett johansson mentions all of the trauma and things that are in her past like it's clear that she is not 
well mm-hmm. either. And the two of them find connection in that, just in the same way that the kids find connection in being a little bit abnormal. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> Brett is really, bro, just cough. You're turning nope. purple. Nope. Who's Do it. Sick? You have. Get it out. What Wes in in this moment I feel is is really pointing to like how no matter what, no matter how wild the world gets, we always have the chance to find human connection with people, yeah, which I like a lot. I like. Brett, you mentioned Steve Carell. I feel like that's a good segue to Bryce's fun fact corner because I've got a, a fun little Steve Carell fun fact here. Uh, before I get into mine, do either of you have any fun facts? There's not a whole lot. Of, I, I often get a lot of these from like YouTube videos, interviewing the directors and that sort of thing, but yes. uh, there's not a whole lot of that content out yet and I haven't had a chance to watch a lot of it yet, I got so I don't have a um, My fun fact was that this should have been obvious. Me and Brett just watched one of my favorite movies, Gattaca, for my birthday that has Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman. Wow. That is the movie where they met. Believe yes. it or not. I did not know that. And their um, offspring. God. Maya Hawke is in that. I didn't put together that Ethan Hawke is her dad. Yes. I knew that Uma <laughs> Thurman was her mother because like they I feel like exactly they the look exactly the same. But she has a lot of Ethan Hawke in her face as well. Um, But like. It's funny because they are not the ones that share a name. I know, I know. It's not Maya Thurman. No, I know, but like, oh my God. So I love Maya, Maya Hawk. She's so good and she's up and coming and she's doing the deed. That's all. She's doing the deed? (laughs) As in the acting deed. Probably in her personal life sometimes. (laughs) But who are we to say? Good Um, for her. Good for her. That's all. I I just learned that today. No, that's fun. My fun fact was uh, I liked the movie. And and I, I think the that's movie. pretty fun. My fun fact is that I bought the screenplay on pre-order. It's uh, not going to get here till August. My Steve Carell fun fact <laughs> is that that character was actually supposed to be Bill Murray initially, <gasps> who's in literally every single Wes Anderson he movie. Got COVID. Uh, but Bill Murray got COVID wow. during the filming of this, and he couldn't do it. So Steve Carell filled in last minute. And frankly, I mean, I guess Bill Murray probably would have played this character a little bit differently but i absolutely <sighs> loved steve carell in this movie He's so good it reminded me a lot of his performance in 40 year old virgin yes in terms of like this character just feels so innocent and just <laughs> untouched by all of the darkness that yeah. the world has to offer yes he's just kind of there and in this movie oh he's, he's just there he's just manning his motel <laughs> Oh, I got it from the daiquiri machine. <laughs> <laughs> I don't actually know how to make this. <laughs> oh, it's all the machine. It's all the machine. Steve Carell also has a way of like... Disarming. I That's wasn't going to say disarming, but... Speak for Brett. He needs it. <laughs> I love Steve for Brett. He has a way of overtaking his yes. cast members. Mm. And I actually didn't think that he did that in the movie. I thought that the performance was a lot more subtle, but still just like equally enjoyable. And I I love that he went that route with it because mm-hmm. there's so much limelight to share. Um, and yeah, it wasn't like, oh my God, it's Steve Carell. Oh, he's Steve Carelling right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, he, he I love the way that he did it. I, ironically, I think he gets pigeonholed pretty hard just because of his role in The Office yes. as a comedic actor. But like he truly is a very talented dramatic actor and he can convey empathy in a way that not a lot of actors can do. Yes. 
and I don't think he gets the opportunity to do that. I would love to see him in another Wes Anderson movie. I think a lot of the roles that I would like to see him in, Owen Wilson would probably get that so that true. look for Wes Anderson. Mm. Um, what was he doing for this movie? Is he in he this movie? There. No, Owen Wilson. Uh, this is truly one of the only movies that Owen Wilson is not in. Um, there's a chance he's like in the background just because, but... No, no, but he is actually. I wasn't asking that. Like, oh, I saw a screen credit and he wasn't. Oh, there. he's not even in. No, the he's credits. he's not in the credits. I was. It just seems like. Like, what was he, he doing at the time? It just feels like he would be in this movie. Yeah, I'm sure he'll be back. But <laughs> yeah, just to to finish my point, like, I think Steve Carell is very talented. Yes. And it's a sh- not. It's a shame as a stretch because I do love him being a comedic actor as well. Yes. He's just freaking brilliant at being com- a comedic actor, but. I, I would like to see him more in the mainstay of, as a dramatic actor as well. But him, he's very funny in this movie. Him in the big short was like incredible. That guy that guy can act circles. Beautiful boy. Yeah. Yes. Like, um, he can do it. Yeah, he can do it. Um, another fun fact, uh, Wes Anderson has said, I know there have, haven't been a lot of interviews. He said this wouldn't have happened without the quarantine that we all went, all went through. Mm-hmm. Like that was a big part of like the like the birth of the screenplay. Which definitely crossed my mind as we were watching it. Um, not because I read that fact beforehand, but I was like, hmm, we've lived through a quarantine. <laughs> yeah. We know what this feels like. Um, and just that sense of stasis of like, oh, everybody in this theater knows what that feels yep. like. So it, even though that crossed my mind, it didn't feel like it was like the... I feel like that wasn't the the like driving force of it. Yes. The quarantine. Yep. That's not what it felt like at all. So I appreciated that... That's what it was born out of. But I appreciate that we got this piece of art, you know, that had nothing. Oh, like that was a very small part of it. Yeah. Because, I mean, if you're thinking about what the point that he is trying to make is, it's like when people are put into this scenario where they're stuck together, mm-hmm. like what beauty can we get out of that yeah. scenario? Um, my other fun fact here is maybe one of my favorite fun facts that I've shared for a movie. Ooh. I mentioned Wes Anderson on top of being a really talented and creative director, is also just like a good guy. Uh, (laughs) So Scarlett Johansson has a nude scene in this movie, which is rare. I don't think she's been nude in any movie other than Under the Skin, which was like a decade ago at this point. Mm -hmm. It's like 2012 or 2013. Damn. He had written, wrote, wrote, written? Had written. He had written this scene into the script. And apparently, Scarlett Johansson had no problem doing this nude scene, but she had to direct it herself because Wes was uncomfortable being on set for it. Unbelievable! God. He was he was too embarrassed to be on set while Scarlett Johansson was fully in the nude, so she Strong had to direct man. the scene herself. I appreciate that. I God, if I wish that were my experience. That were my experience. <laughs> the end. Um, in terms of <laughs> never mind artistic nudity. I wish that were my experience with artistic nudity. You ever been nude in a movie before? No, for shoots and stuff. Ah, yeah. Yes. Um, God. God. I once had to make out in front of a teacher to get ready for a <laughs> yeah. for a play. That's, you should, you need to tell that you story. You need to tell sometime. that story. Uh, I was I was in Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> there were two kisses: one between my character and the female lead, one between. The male lead and my and the female lead, uh, and we were being very awkward about 
kissing on stage in front of everyone. So to get rid of all the awkwardness, the assistant director, who was a teacher of the show, was just like, you two need to make out. <laughs> and he t- he did at least turn his back, but he made us make out just like in a spare room of the That's high school. so, so <laughs> It's weird, but it wildly, worked. Wildly, wildly out of line. That is, so it worked, though. In a high school? That's a fucking crazy thing to um, do. It's, uh, um, and Bryce did not tell his high school girlfriend. Is that right? No, that's not true. You did? She was definitely mad, but oh, I didn't tell her. Oh, okay, that's good. I don't, sorry, I misremembered. <laughs> that was my bad. I was so excited for the scandal. <laughs> well, if anything, it was a scandal just because she was very mad that I was even kissing anyone in this play. But it's a like, scandal because this guy's a pedophile. This guy's a pedophile. Well, I he mean, just, he turned he, his back, Brett. Yeah, he just loved being in the same room. He couldn't get enough of it. Uh, not going to say any names. Uh, <laughs> any any other fun facts before we move on to nitpicks? Why does a pretentious asshole nitpick corner? Damn, that's what it's called? I think he came up with that name, actually. That's yes, pretty... He did. Oh, I love Wyatt. Bryce's um, Fun Fact Corner, Wyatt is a pretentious asshole nitpick corner, and Brett is a cute, special little boy favorite so, scene. He's so special. Okay, he's a little um, guy. He's just a little guy. Now, I don't have any more fun facts. Do you... I'm curious if you even have any nitpicks for this movie. I really struggle to even come up with one. I'm not going to lie to you. I... I didn't write anything for her, any of the categories. <laughs> I was just, I, I had a hard time. I was just busy no, thinking. No, that's real. And it's going to be real weird whenever we get to this the movie. This movie is so experiential yes. in terms of like, you're, you're kind of asked to just be there and sit there and not think a whole lot. I think it's kind of just about like what you feel in the moment. I think the closest thing I have to a nitpick contributed to the overall experience, which is what we're saying. It's experiential. I think. I think this is a hot take. Scarlett Johansson does not hold a candle to Margot Robbie in terms of energy. Oh, interesting. Terms, and I know that's a bad, that might be a bad take. I feel like they're much different energies, and that might just be a Colleen preference. But like to me, the power that Margot Robbie is able to like convey, and I feel like you guys saw this in Babylon, like the way that she's just able to Greatest like movie of all time. Yeah, I bet. I like I've I've seen clips from it. Sorry, I don't mean to be like I've seen clips from it, but just the energy that she's able to convey so easily and just like light up and just like be there is so impressive. And I think Scarlett Johansson is much different, but I feel I feel like uh, maybe it was by design, but I felt so much more impacted by the sixty seconds that Margot Robbie was on screen as opposed to. Scarjo's Scarjo, yeah. So she, I think that's totally valid. I think the reason why he did it the way that he did, it was so effective, is because he's going for his thing, which is kind of like yes. this understated emotion. Yes. There, Scarlett Johansson has a line in this movie mm-hmm. where, in the second or third scene, where. She's talking to Jason Schwartzman, which is sort of like the, it goes throughout this movie. A lot of the scenes are just the two of them talking Mm -hmm. from across their little bungalows. She mentions like, you and I are the same. Mm -hmm. We both are deeply sad. Yeah. And don't really let on. Um, Which I'm I'm messing up that quote. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I, I remember in the moment really, really 
that line specifically connecting with me mm-hmm. because that's sort of like, I mean, I'm already like a pretty monotone guy. Like I, I can let out some anger. I can let out some happiness every once in a while, but in general, my, like my line is pretty like in the middle. It's pretty monotone. Yes. And a lot of that is because either I'm in the process of processing emotions and I don't mm. want to let on until I've actually like arrived at where I want to be with an emotion yes. or because sometimes it can hurt to let out emotion. So maybe I don't let out any, which is not actually how I behave, but that's sort of like my default. Mm-hmm. And Wes Anderson puts a lot of characters like this in his movies, but especially in this one, I feel like it's it's the main thing between the two of them and it's sort of how the two of them connect. Yeah. Yeah. I thought I thought their um chemistry as actors was really, really significant. I Which think- is wild because Jason Schwartzman is a goofy looking motherfucker. He's such a goofy looking motherfucker. Is stunning. She is stunning. <laughs> I think my hot take on this is just like she she does a lot of acting. Mm. She does a lot of, and I saw this in Marriage Story, and I was like, oh my God, she's doing it again. Um, where like she's delivering a monologue the way a monologue would be read. And Brett noted that as opposed to Laura Dern, she was like, Laura Dern was delivering a monologue about like the Virgin Mary in the marriage story. You're talking in, about the marriage story. Yeah, in, in a marriage story. And Brett remarked after it, he was like, hmm, I feel like that monologue could have been delivered better. And I was like, no, that's how a lawyer, n- not to negate Brett but like I was like no I that's suck at that. <laughs> I was like no that's how a lawyer would say it and he was like I guess you're right and I was like I know I'm right <laughs> so I feel like I feel like I would love to see ScarJo in a stage play mm. because she's very good and this is why it was good and very very effective for this movie because it had that stage play element she does a lot of acting <laughs> <laughs> so like I feel like I was I was very reactive to that as far as like the connection of movies. The end. Valid. No nitpicks out of Brett. I got to get out of here as soon as possible. I'm not going to lie to you. This God, is it such... is a Friday night and Brett's trying to go to sleep at uh, 11. It's not well, that. I don't care about getting to sleep. This is such torture for me. I feel like... <laughs> oh, my, oh my goodness. God. Oh, it's so bad. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, I lost my hat. That has got $60. <laughs> I've got one nitpick, which I'm is sorry. quite small. It was frankly kind of difficult to even come up with any because I truly do think this is an exceptional movie. I was a little bit weirded out by the amount that the fourth wall was broken in this movie. Mm. Brian Cranston's narrating the story, and he has his own unique layer, and then the play actors have their own unique layer, and then the story has its own unique layer. And there's one shot in this movie where within the context of Asteroid City, the full-color actual story that's being told, the camera pans over and Brian Cranston's just there, and they're like, hey, what's going on here? And he's like, oh, my bad. I'm not supposed to be here. (laughs) Which is funny in the moment, but it never happens again. I know. And I'm just a little bit confused. Like I I almost wish that had not been there at all or had happened more regularly, where that wall is kind of being torn down between the layers of this story. I I almost wish they had their own, they were fully isolated or those walls were just constantly being torn down. Yeah, Um, I agree. So it's more of a nitpick. 
Brett disagrees, nah. which is why it's a nitpick. Nah. It would have been annoying. I love the way they did it. It was funny. Good bit. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah, you're wrong. <laughs> you're really hurting over that Laura Dern comment, huh? I'm going to cough into the microphone more. <laughs> oh, my God. And then I'm going to make you use it next time. Let's let's end with, before we get into our final thoughts, let's let's do our favorite scenes. Did, did Ian's have favorite scenes? I did, actually. Or a least favorite scene if you didn't like this movie. No, I loved, um, I feel like this is a sleeper pick, but um, right before, we don't even talk about this, or like we haven't talked about this at all, the fact that like a major oh my God, point of this is an alien coming to Earth <laughs> yes. and like, just intervening in this uh this like space cadet camp right before that happens for the first time jeffrey wright's character is introduced and has this just hilarious monologue as a a speech in front of the audience and like i i'm not even gonna say what he says because like it's not important i can't do it justice the way that he performs it it's so funny like so funny i was i was losing my I don't remember which which scene are you talking about. I know the you one don't want to. Said um, it, it, the it described. You mean, no, the one that you were like, I'm not going to say anything about it. No, yes. I said the one that the one that introduces Jeffrey Wright's character. He has a monologue where he like does the speech introducing the camp. Um, oh well, you yes. said that was right before the alien showed up. That yeah, was a whole not? like no, thirty minutes. His character's introduced right at the All beginning right. of the story. I'm an asshole. <laughs> Everybody's right. saying you're it. so silly and dumb right now. That's crazy, Brett. All right. Um, no, I that agree. was your favorite scene. That's a funny yeah, scene. That was. Um, I have a couple. One, <laughs> one of the brilliant kids. Anytime he was like, "Do you dare me? Do you dare me? Do you dare me?" <laughs> yes. My favorite scene, and I, I was the only one in the theater that laughed out loud at this, and it's because I work with kids, and they just be doing shit like this. Um, he was like, "Do you dare me?" And they're like, "To what?" He's like, "Jump off the roof." It's an experiment. And then they're like, no. <laughs> and he does. He just does it. Because um, that's not what it's about for him. Oh, my God. I'm actually glad that you brought that up because I have a real world experience with that. Unbelievable. Yes. You would. Oh, my God. So um, at the camp that Bryce previously mentioned, one of my camp boys, he had he was, a, he was in like sixth grade. Um, and he had this huge crush on one of the counselors. It was Grace. That's funny. Yeah. Not be- Grace is gorgeous. It's not funny. Go ahead. <coughs> really taking the wind out of my sails <laughs> for a cough break. He has big crush on Grace, and he asked one of his like bunk baits. He was like, "Hey, do you dare me to ask for her her phone number?" Oh my god! And his his buddy, he was like, "No." <laughs> <laughs> and, and he's like i dare myself <laughs> and then he did it grace was like you're a child and he was like his buddy was there in the moment he was like he told me to do it <laughs> Classic. his friend sold him immediately he was like you dared yourself yeah. <laughs> um, uh, it was just like that that scene is really funny colleen and it it speaks really well to a more, I think, emotionally important scene that happens yeah. later on with the same kid where he, his dad's, like, really fed up with him. Like, why why do you keep asking me <laughs> to dare you to do things that I don't give a shit about? Oh um, and he just, like, fully is honest about it. He's like, I, I feel like if I don't 
turn this into like a fun dare. Nobody's going to pay me any attention at all. And not even that. He's like, I worry that I won't have cosmic significance. Yeah. And I was like. And it's it's <laughs> it's wild that. A, a child can feel that way, but B. It truly does in yes. terms of like. From each of our own perspectives, our own cosmic significance is just the impact that we make around us. Yeah. And if this kid never feels seen, he's never going to feel like he's ever had that important significance that I think ultimately all of us need to feel at some point yeah. or another to feel like we've had an impact on the world. Yes. And this kid is so smart. Like he's inventing yes. things. He's being honored for these inventions at <laughs> this thing. But at the end of the day, it's like he just, he wants a little bit of attention. Yeah. <laughs> and he's not always getting that. I think because he's like a weirdo. I think, yeah, the role of attention when it comes to childhood is a newly developing thing when it comes to um, like the the next like uh the next generation of parenting because parenting is always evolving and it's such a complicated mm -hmm. thing in terms of like what children are meant to expect from us and what we can feasibly provide for them but attention is like a relatively new thing because our parents and I don't know if you maybe not Brett's parents um because Brett's parents are the best but like maybe your parents too um Doug's the best as well because I know he's listening um but my like my mom also listens to this I'm sorry I love you Bryce's mom yeah. I've never met you <laughs> um but like I know the rhetoric that was used for our parents was like this person just wants it this child just wants attention. And it was such like a point of contention mm. that children need attention because of how stretched thin parents tend to be. And so where the old paradigm is to blame the child. The for wanting attention. Yes, for needing attention. Mm -hmm. The new paradigm is like, okay, how can I honor this in a way that is not, like even if it's draining for me, like how can I honor this to make sure the child is not like, hurting themselves mm -hmm. in order to gain attention. Yeah. Even if you can't, you as a parent are not going to be able to feasibly provide everything a child needs, but like you can try. And how can you show the child that like, Hey, Hey man, <laughs> I'm here for you. And I'm, we are doing the best we can. And I will pay attention to you. Yeah. How can All I make I you is feel for loved? Someone to tell me that. Brett and I love attention. <laughs> Brett and why, Bryce why love attention. Here? Why do you think I'm faking this cough? <laughs> Um, yeah, that's it. And then the scene follows up with him being like, they're like, they're like, why do you do this? And he's like, I just want cosmic significance. And they're like, okay, dare you to what? He's like, you want me to climb that cactus? <laughs> they're like, fuck no. They're like, no. <laughs> I really wanted a scene later <laughs> on of them like picking pricklies out of him. Yeah. God, it was so funny. <laughs> uh, I would imagine that was the only instance in this movie where he was not dared to do something and he actually didn't do it. <laughs> Brett, for your sake, let's get out of here. Oh, God, what are, what are we your gotta final be, thoughts? We got to be pushing like two About hours. About an hour and a half. Oh, uh, okay. Hour and 40. Um, final thoughts. I really love this movie. I think it's going to be uh, hopefully remembered as a good work of Wes Anderson. I think that that's especially likely considering I, it seems to be doing so well already. And so, you know, obviously when more tickets sell and it's a good quality work, you know, uh, that tends to go into the kind of like workbook of legacy that a director has. 
Um, so I'm excited to see the uh, the path that this movie has. I hope that it becomes like a, a good streaming movie because mm. I, I could see that being like a place where it, it ends up down the line. This movie yeah. certainly doesn't like have to be seen yeah, in theaters. Totally. 100%. I think it'll serve streaming very well. Um, yeah. I loved it. Good old Wes. I think this is a hitter for him. Uh, I really, really, I really enjoy this movie now that we've talked about it. And I was really excited, like all the way <laughs> on the way home. I was like, okay, I know I won't be able to talk to Bryce and Brett about this until they do the podcast. And I was like, I can't wait to talk to you guys about we this. We have a <laughs> no talking about the movie and the car policy so that it can all be fresh. Um, and I was really excited to talk to them about it. And Bryce was like, do you just want to be on the podcast? And I was like, yes. Um, and that's a huge honor. Um, in that noise. What in that voice? In that voice. Sorry, I was he was not <laughs> doing a British accent. I um, just had my necklace in my you mouth because I, I can't sit I, still. I, I gotta <laughs> interrupt you real quick. So when I was editing our uh, good friends uh, Jen and Ashley's podcast, at some point, very early on in them doing it, shout out the Let's Debrief podcast. Jen- Jenna had a, a a like an iced coffee. <laughs> that while she was talking she was swishing it around <laughs> in front of the microphone and i was i remember editing it being like it was taking longer than i expected i was happy to do it but that made me like almost lose my <laughs> mind i was so frustrated trying to, to do about this trying to get that out of the edit and i was like what are you doing i think <laughs> and you only saw this if you're watching it on YouTube, but Bryce putting pearls in his mouth and then trying to talk in the microphone. And that's like, don't worry about like 20 it. Worry times about worse. It. Don't, don't worry about I'm it. I'm like, the, my fidget right now is just like, Brett and I got manicures and I'm just like, I'm just pressing down on my nails. Um, we got them for my birthday. Um, final thoughts. Uh, you should grab my fidget thing there up there. It's real good. You can, Ew. yeah, it's yeah. nice. That's nice. Huge. Do your talking while you play with it. <laughs> Me and Bryce handshake over needing to move <laughs> constantly. Um, I loved this. I loved this movie. I loved getting to um talk about it and talk about like the implications and think about uh why Wes did the things that he did, why the characters did what they did, and really develop relationships towards them. It was great. Yeah, I. <laughs> oh, and this is Cedric. What? I just said excuse you. Uh, This movie looks like a Wes Anderson movie. It feels like a Wes Anderson movie. If you've liked his movies in the past, you will absolutely like this movie. In terms of my own experience with it, I had some issues with the framework. Those issues might go away on a second watch, but on first watch, I loved the experience here. Great performances all across the board, and I really, really connect with the message of like, hey, life is probably meaningless and we are never going to have answers for everything. But at the end of the day, you're just here. You're in the moment that you're in and you're with the people that you're with. So make the most of it. Make connections that last. Have a positive impact on those people. Be a good person. And do your best to just love everyone. And like that's kind of what this podcast is all about <laughs> to some extent. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I think while I do have some issues with how that message is like being conveyed, the overall experience here is really, really enjoyable. This is one of the better movies of the year so far from one of the best directors that is working right now. 
so whether you have much experience with him or not, Wes Anderson, I highly recommend checking this movie out. I mentioned earlier this has the potential to be one of my favorite movies ever. I really hope it can be because, I mean, that's always what I'm in the search for. Right now, it's it's not close because I don't really like the framework. But You mentioned that three times. I'm glad to hear that because it's true. <laughs> Bryce uh, loves counting. I really, <laughs> really want it. Joke. I mean, every time I see a movie... I'm like, I hope this is my favorite movie ever. Yeah. That's so <laughs> um, Even with dumb superhero movies like The Flash, I'm like, maybe, maybe this will do it for me. And sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. But yeah, I, I really like this movie. Highly recommend you check it out. If you've listened to us this far, I'm now looking at the audience. Check us out on YouTube if you're just listening to us. If you've listened to us this far, we really appreciate it. We Love you very much. Check us out on Instagram at Last of the Moon Pod, where we post about any time we are uploading a new episode, or sometimes just some personal stuff, usually movie related. But the three of us live together, so sometimes you just get some stuff that shows up on there that has nothing to do with it. Follow us there, Last of the Moon Pod. And other than that, thank you very much for listening. We would Last of the Moon for you. Brett's about to cough. We hope you would do the same for us. <laughs> We love you. Good night. I don't want to lose it in the outro. Oh, fuck. <coughs> Say good night. <laughs> good night. <laughs> Jesus. Get an I love you out before I turn off this recording. I love you. <laughs>